If you turn to Genesis chapter 44, as we're winding down our study here in the book of Genesis, we're tackling a chapter a week from here on out for the most part, so uh, we should be done here in a little over a month. But as you get to Genesis chapter 44, there comes a time in everyone's life when it's time to pay the piper. Sometimes we think that we can just continue indefinitely in paths of travel and ways of living and going, things that we continually do, things that we often uh, repeat throughout our lives. And for many of us, we think that we're simply going to always get away with what we've always gotten away with. This comes from a couple of misunderstandings in the body of Christ. One of them is is that God doesn't care. No, God cares very much about righteousness in the life of his children. That God is not concerned about sin. God is very much concerned about sin in the life of his children. That God has somehow just completely relented, and at least in this case, there's no price to pay, that there is no consequence to the truth of God's word. Some of you, and I can look around the room and see, some of you are old enough to remember that old 1950s, 60s, 70s, actually ran for about 35 years, the game show Truth or Consequences with Bob Barker. Uh, if some of us older folks, we can, we can remember that game show. And they always had some type of a skit. They would pull something off, and, and the whole goal was for you to determine whether it was true or it was false. And if you got it wrong, there were consequences to your decision. And it usually involved you making a fool out of yourself. That was kind of the whole premise of the game show, is to catch somebody doing something that was the wrong answer, and then they basically got humiliations galore. God is not mocked. There's a spiritual law that we'll get to when we get to the final chapter in the book of Galatians, and that law is just as immutable as the law of physics. That which a man or a woman reaps, that man or that woman has, in essence, gotten the produce of their sowing, to state it in reverse. In other words, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you can plan on reaping some destruction at some point in time. If you sow to the Spirit, it produces life in your life. These brothers have been sowing to the flesh for a very, very, very long time. And it's about time for them to pay the piper, to reap that which they have sown. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, it's kind of late. Why doesn't God just let them get away with it? Because God is concerned not with just the, the simple consequences to, to the things that are, that are happening right now, but God is concerned simultaneously about the welfare, the well-being, the spiritual well-being of every last person on the planet all day, every day, 100% of the time. In other words, he works everything into his plan. And so while you may get away with things for a period of time, you may get away with things for a very long time, you may actually not suffer a, a lot of consequence in your life at any given point in time, But you can be sure if God's plan is for you to reap from what you have sown, then you will do exactly that. And that's really the story here in Genesis chapter 44. So let's pray and find out what happens after 22 years of sowing to the flesh 
uh, in the lives of these, these brothers. Father, we are grateful for the power of your word to help us to transform our lives, Lord, to, to move in a direction that's well-pleasing to you. And we pray tonight, as we study your word, that you would just instruct us with it, that from heaven, Lord, we wouldn't be tempted to uh, continue down paths that can be destructive, Lord, that cause pain in other people's lives. Lord, that we would be open, honest, ready to repent, uh, quick to forgive, looking for restoration, and always willing to do that which is right in your eyes, uh, regardless of the cost. Lord, that is always the short path to restoration, to just simply be obedient. And so, God, we, we pray that you would just minister to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So now it's 22 years after they threw Joseph in the pit, and, and that time has come. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, that would be Joseph, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and also put my cup. This is a very special cup. Uh, it was used in, in Egyptian uh, mythology uh, as a way to divine truth. And God is in no way, shape, or form saying that he approves of divination because his word clearly says he doesn't. Uh, but remember where Joseph is. He's in the court of Pharaoh. Uh, this would have been a very standard practice in the court of Pharaoh. And so whether Joseph likes the fact that he's got this cup or not, he does in fact have a cup because Pharaoh undoubtedly has a cup. And because he is second in command to Pharaoh, he also has this cup, the silver cup that we're going to find out is a cup of divination. And so he says, put it in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. And so he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city, they were not yet afar off. And Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Now think back, if you've been with us through this study, how many of Jacob's life lessons did he teach these young men uh, that fall into this category where where did this come to play in these guys lives how how was it that they would understand exactly what's going to be done to them right here right now is this not the the one from which my lord drinks and with which he is indeed with which he indeed practices divination you have done evil in so doing. And again, that would be a standard practice in the court. It'd be like us rather going into you know, the White House and, and opening up the president's iPad and checking his emails or whatever. It just would have been something standard that would happen in the court of Pharaoh. And so he overtook them. And he spoke to them with these same words, and they said to him, Why does the Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Unfortunately, that's not exactly true, is it? Now, it may be true that they by now have learned that lesson, and by now 
They have not been recently doing that, but they have also not ever fully repented of the fact that that is exactly what they've done. They've lived their lives in deception. They've lived their lives scheming. They've learned from Jacob well, and that has become their practice in life. And so this is a, this is a lesson for us as parents, that sometimes our children end up suffering through consequences of the actions Uh, of the parents because they learn behavior from us when we repeat things in front of our children our children pick up those habits and it is very often from us that they learn these things that ultimately uh, end up causing them problems and so be careful be mindful of the fact that what you show your children very often they then repeat and so when we're not honest i had a number of years ago a couple came in and their son had just gotten in trouble with the IRS and they were ranting and raving and you know it's just like I said I can't believe this happened and why would you do such a thing and they were both fairly old I think the son at the time was close to 40 and the parents were nearing nearing their early 70s and they had been in business together and the whole point of the conversation coming in and said what do we do what do we and I just told him I said just be honest own it whatever happened happened just tell them that that's what uh, well, well, I can't really do that. And, and I looked at the, the son and I said, well, why can't you do that? He says, well, we've been doing this in business for decades. This has been our standard business practice. We never tell the truth. We, we've, been, we've been lying about everything forever. If I tell them that, they're likely to go looking through the books. And the parents' jaws just dropped to gape open. They're, they were like, It was like it was new news to them. But in fact, the truth was the son had learned how to do that from the parents. That was their standard business practice. They fudged on the books, false entries, did things for cash that should have been on the books, off the books, had employees that were not on the books. And now all of a sudden, the son is in trouble and the parents are like, how could you possibly do this to us? And the reason I share that with you is that happens more often than we would like to admit. Now, it may not be necessarily with money. It may not be with uh, individual specific things that have large impacts, but they can be small things, attitudes that, that pervasively uh, end up in our lives because we have learned them from someone else that's in authority over us. And that is certainly the picture here. These sons learned these things from their father. They learned to not tell the truth. They learned to fudge. They learned to scheme. They learned to plot. They learned to plan. They learned to get around the truth by saying whatever was expedient. Be careful. When you have opportunity to speak the truth, it may be the hard way. It is always the best way. It may be the hard way but it is always the best way. We as the body of Christ are to speak the truth because our Savior is the truth. Amen? It says, far be it from your servants that we should do such a thing. Look, we we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How could we then steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? 
And with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slave. And so, so here Judah begins to speak for the group. And he says, look, it just couldn't possibly happen. But your deeds eventually catch up with you. And while there is some nobility in what's being said here, this is the consequences of a life lived apart from God's perfect plan. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. And then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and dropped open his sack. And so he searched and began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then he tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. There's a book that was written actually in 1948 by Dr. Richard Weaver, and it it was entitled, Ideas Have Consequences. And the basic premise of that book was that really at the time a profound diagnosis on the sickness uh, of American culture directly after the Second World War. And what he said in the conclusion of that book was this. He said, if you don't live according to truth, then there's little doubt that you will suffer the consequences. Truth necessitates that we understand that there are consequences to not living by the truth. And that's really the the key lesson that's learned in the lives of these brothers as they're now seeking to get their youngest brother back to Canaan so that poor Jacob doesn't pass away from grief. There's a Gallup poll, and for those of you that aren't familiar with how polling data works, it takes a long time to collect data and even a longer time to analyze it, generally speaking. This poll was taken about eight years ago, and I'm sure the percentages have probably gone up, but the question was asked of of truth. What do you understand about truth? 68% of the people, this was done here in our country. It was across every state. Um, There were more than 10,000 respondents to the poll. 68% of all people believed it was appropriate to lie to get what you want. 76% said they believed that within four years four years the AIDS epidemic would be overcome 54% believed that having extramarital sexual relations would be beneficial to promote to promote a healthy sex life 78% of parents interviewed believed that teenage promiscuity would actually be an inevitability and thereby it was good so that their children would mature properly. 81%, just like that family, believed that it was permissible to cheat on your taxes if you believed that the government was taking advantage of you. Truth has consequences. And if something is true, you will bear the consequences of that truth. And so that lesson is being learned here by the, by the brothers. The converse of this is, if there's no truth, then there's no consequences. 
but because your Bible declares that not only is there truth, but God himself, in fact, dwells in inapproachable light, that Jesus himself is truth, that the Bible itself is completely true and every man a liar. The Bible declares about God that God deals completely in truth. So whenever something is a little bit off from truth, you are flirting with disaster before the Lord at some point in time. Because Galatians 6, 7 and 9, do not be deceived. God is not mocked that whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So if by one's flesh one reaps to corruption, you you just did that because you didn't believe that God would be faithful to his truth. And God will always be faithful to his truth. So these brothers concoct yet another plan. They're trying to take the short route. They're they're trying to get out of the consequences. And the truth was God was not going to be mocked. We see several things here. The first of which is really what could be best described as a self-confrontation. And their confidence, their self-sufficiency ends up being destroyed in this. They're still trusting their crafty plans. They're basically overjoyed. They're on their way back. They think that they have gotten away with this, that there's going to be no consequences to this whole issue. And because God cares about the long term and not the short-term results, God, in fact, is going to still chastise them. And God does that. He thought it was a happy day. It looked like a happy day. They're starting to ride their donkeys away, singing probably, oh, happy day. Or we got Benjamin, we got the grain, we got the money, life's good. Can I tell you that God lets us get away with things for a while, but he never lets us get away with things indefinitely. He has a way of working that back around into his plan to where we learn the lessons we need to to learn. A fragile truce that we have with truth when it is hemmed in with things that are not true. Apart from true righteousness, apart from true repentance, apart from coming clean, apart from making sure that we've done everything we can to right the wrongs, we're taking shortcuts and when you take shortcuts we are forcing God to take consequences and make them more severe because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are amen if you don't know that about God yet that's something you need to know about God God loves you too much to leave you the way you are so if you're a mess you can count on God doing whatever he needs to do to make you understand that what you're doing is contributing to that mess So if you have a bad habit, you have a bad attitude, uh, you're using things improperly, if God is being shamed, in essence, by a believer's life, he's going to correct that behavior. Now, how he does that is up to him. But the longer we let those things go, generally, the more severe the consequences are. So the lesson is this. When God shows you something, and, and these guys knew this was wrong a long time ago, amen? And they had an opportunity to simply come clean the last time they were in Pharaoh's house, in essence, with Joseph. They could have simply said, look, we messed up. 
We, we've done wrong. But they're still trying to take that shortcut. And so we see that God often will destroy our own self-confidence. He will destroy our self-sufficiency. He takes those things out of the mix. And so while they haven't been arrested for stealing the grain money, um, Simeon had been released. Benjamin is traveling with them now. They thought, they thought they had peace, but they didn't have it. Because really the work of peace is, is, comes from righteousness in the lives of believers. I am at the most peace with God when I am the most righteous before God. Does that make sense? When, when I am walking close to Jesus, that's when I have the most peace. And when I'm walking far away from Jesus, if I'm out there on the edge of Christian living, if I'm not being obedient to the word, I have very minimal peace, if not no peace in my life. That's why when Christians engage in sinful behavior, almost the first thing that goes is peace. All of a sudden, your mind is conflicted. You, you want to have a right relationship with God, but you know you don't. And, and so God takes that peace away, and it's designed to bring you back to him. So when your peace has been interrupted, it's always good to look for the reason why that peace is interrupted. And if it is something that's in your control because you've been acting in a way that's not appropriate to God's word, then you want to turn around, correct that situation, and turn back towards the Lord so that your peace can be restored. Second thing that we see here is the danger of trusting sin and self. Very often my conversations with people when there's a clear biblical edict and by what what i say or what i mean when i say that is the bible is very specific about an awful lot of things you do not have to pray about being drunk amen you don't if you're going to a party with the intent to get drunk you don't need to pray about whether you should go to that party or not the answer is no god's already told you no right you don't have to pray about being in a relationship with someone before you're married physically. The answer to that is no. God's already said how he feels about that situation. You don't have to pray about taking money from the government because you're lying on your taxes. God's already told you you're not supposed to lie, you're not supposed to cheat, and you're not supposed to steal. And that would be doing all three of those things. You see, when God has spoken to him who knows it's sin, the Bible says it is sin. Or to him who knows to do good and does not do it, the Bible says, to him it's sin also. And, and so when we're talking about sin issues, when we as the body of Christ willingly engage in behaviors that we know are contrary to God's word, we are flirting with disaster before the Lord. We are basically asking for a spanking. And so sometimes we trust in the craftiness of our own sinful plans. We're basically confident that we won't get caught that the plan is so good that we're going to get away with it. Can I tell you, you're not going to fool God. Whatever your plan is, whatever that person is, and where this comes into play, maybe you're doing great with the Lord, but I guarantee you, you're going to have people in your life that are going to come to you for counsel, and they're going to ask you, you know, is this okay? And you're going to know categorically what God's word says about that situation. Can I just ask you to do something that, that takes a lot of boldness, tell them the truth. 
don't hem and haw. Don't try and go around the truth. If the Bible speaks authoritatively to any issue of life, that is actually God's opinion on the matter. We're supposed to actually do that. So if God tells us what to do and we don't do it, it's sin. That's a bad place to put yourself. Do not trust it. You see, just like in this case, because these brothers are on their way, look what happens. Their sin overtakes them. They're on their road back. They think they've gotten away with it. They're heading out of town. And oops, it didn't quite work out the way they thought. In Numbers chapter 32, uh, there's an interesting passage there. It's verses 20 and 23, and it's Moses speaking. Uh, and he's talking to the children of Israel. They're, they're about to cross over the Jordan River. And Moses said, if you do this thing and arm yourselves before the Lord of war and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord and afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and, and before Israel, this land shall be your possession. But if you do not do so, if you don't do what the Lord tells you to do, through Moses, they're giving, given very specific instruction. Here's what I want you to do. Drive out the enemies, subdue the land, be blameless in the land, be blameless before God, and be blameless before the rest of the people. That was the command that came from Moses. And then he says this, verse 23, but if you do not do so, in other words, if you won't listen and you won't do it, if you don't believe what God has to say on this issue, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So when people come to me and say, well, I, I don't think God actually means that for me. That not only is a really foolish thing to say, it's also a very dangerous thing to say. Because if God's given a command, he cannot give it to one person and it be a command and it be extracted for another person. If he's declared it to be thus and so, to be truth, then what he says to one, he says to all. He doesn't have a sliding scale. In other words, your situational ethics, your existence, your existentialism, the things that are unique to you, do not invalidate the word of the Lord. And so what he says still stands. And so in this case, these brothers probably thought that this behavior was so much better than way, the way they had lived previously. It's actually a lot cleaner than selling poor Joseph into slavery. It wasn't as bad as that. This is where we get into the justification of our sin. We start to measure it instead of from God's standard by the standard of our own past performance. God's standard is actually his word. And so when we look at situations, we're supposed to look at them from God's perspective. How would God feel about that situation? What would he want us to do? How would he want us to act? How would he respond in that situation? That is how we are supposed to respond. And so the brothers here, you can see it, they're stunned that they get nailed on this. It's like, well, what do you mean? Can you imagine the shock when they open up that bag and, and there's Joseph's cup in there? In Benjamin's, they're like, oh no. 
How did that get in there? But when you live a life of lies, you can't remember everything, can you? Can you imagine what some of the brothers were thinking? They're probably starting to blame each other. They're probably going, I can't believe you did that. They're trying to pin the sin on somebody other than themselves. We're we're very often confident in our ability to sin without consequences. And just because you've gotten away with something does not mean you've actually gotten away with it. It just means that maybe God is being gracious, giving you room to repent, or maybe he's just simply waiting for the opportune time for you to pay those, the price that's necessary for you to learn the lesson that he wants you to learn. And in, that, in, in this situation, if you think back to, to Jacob's dealing with Laban, this is pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Lying, cheating, deceiving, making false promises, trying to get away. Uh, well, I'm not going to go all the way because he's over there. They were partially okay, but partially not okay. These are all things that they learned, in essence, through, through the life of this family. And so this is the, the second time that these brothers have wondered how the Egyptians knew their birth order. You can imagine, this is just like spinning through there. Okay, do we have somebody, somebody's ratting us out in the family. And you can imagine, they're looking at each other with skepticism. That's what happens when you don't live by the truth. All of a sudden, everybody is on your radar. I, I don't know how many of you have actually sat down and talked with people who've had long histories Uh, of being in trouble with the law but it is mind-boggling how paranoid people can get when they've lived a long time outside of the framework of the structure of our laws they become very skeptical of just about anyone and everyone because they themselves have lived lives outside of the confines of what the law was intended to do because the law is for the lawless, amen? And so when you live in lawlessness, what happens is you start to think like someone who's lawless. And so all of a sudden, your truth is different than the truth of somebody who who trusts the Lord. And very often the truth and the lie gets swapped. And so here's this cup and this sack and this is the only time this particular Hebrew word is used in, in reference to a person who's equated to a believer, which Joseph would be. And it's the Hebrew word gabia, and it's only used in three different ways. It, it was used in the temple for the little bowls that are underneath the, the candlesticks. In other words, the place that the wick resided on the menorah. And, and so in that sense, it was to show forth the light of God. So that was a good use. But the other two... Um, we're actually both negative. It's used again as a cup of divination. In other words, it's be like you pulling out a Ouija board or you know an eight ball and you shake it up. You know, am I supposed to go, you know, to the track and bet on horses today? Yes, you know. Or, you know, are you gonna you're gonna go down and get your lucky numbers? It's like okay, well, I think there are this, 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 and this. It's kind of that thing. It was a cup of divination. It was like a way to kind of hopefully foretell the future for the Pharaoh. And so this was not something that ever left Pharaoh's house. And so to have it in your sack was a a bad deal. And unfortunately, in this particular image, you you kind of get the sense that maybe Joseph was using it. Uh, It's highly unlikely, given what we know about the rest of Scripture, just simply was something that was expected to be in the house of Pharaoh. 
And so here it is, it's in that sack. And so, so this is one of the consequences. This is what happens. All of a sudden, you don't really know. You can well imagine that a couple of the brothers might be thinking, well, maybe one of the other brothers actually put that in there because they want to get away. And if they can just send some of us to prison, you can see how they would start blaming each other and manipulating the circumstances and situations. And so don't allow these things into your life is is really the, the word for us. It's like be people that always tell the truth. Just don't get into the habit of of fudging in any way, shape, or form. You see, because what happens ultimately is our sin overwhelms and overcomes us. Eventually, it it begins to rule and reign. And, And while the brothers here are showing, I think, genuine grief and distress, they're tearing their garments and everything else, but you can also imagine that they're all sitting there thinking, well, somebody probably did this in our group. We are, after all, a whole group of guys that are deceptive. We're a whole group of guys that have made our our existence filled with lies. We've told these stories so often that now they've come back to bite us. And when you think about it, how could they actually prove their innocence? Could it be that Benjamin did it to get even with the rest of them for leaving him down there in the first place? There's a whole bunch of things that you can kind of see that this type of a lifestyle comes back to get you. And here's the, here's the final thing in trusting sin and trusting yourself, your, kind of your plans. It's a cruel, cruel, cruel taskmaster. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. It seems exactly as scripture says, David understood this clearly, sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death. It's a cruel taskmaster it promises but it does not perform sin will always take you further than you want to go and it will leave you where you don't want to stay so be careful about justifying any type of situation to where you know that you're not walking in the will of god if you know that you're not walking in the will of god it is incumbent upon you as a child of god to simply say lord I don't care what the, the circumstances, what, the, what circumstances is going to come my way. I am going to walk in the truth. I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to bear the consequences of it because I want this to end right here. You can kind of see how these guys could be condemned. They, it was too late. What are they going to do? What, they, what these men knew, what these Egyptians knew, besides Joseph, was that these guys were prone to living like this, and they knew they were prone to living like this, so the whole thing just becomes this unraveled mess. How do we get where we need to go? It's pretty simple. Verse 14, And so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there, and they fell down on the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? He's saying, Look, I, I, I could have looked into the cup. He's got them so freaked out that they're actually believing that because he is one of he's Pharaoh's top man, that, that he actually has the power of you know, this, this demonic occult practice. And then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? 
God has found out the iniquity of your servants, and here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose cup the hand, or man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Uh, and so Joseph's being used of the Lord to elicit a real confession out of them because that's the road to restoration i cannot tell you and i'm so grateful for the fact that god allows us do-overs anybody grateful for that do-overs redos amen you know it's not like it's not like the end of uh, it, it is never the end with the lord but god is always looking for the same thing that's he wants righteousness in the, in the lives of his kids. So whenever he allows us to come clean with something, that's exactly what he wants. He, he's basically saying, look, why don't you just tell the truth? Just come clean with this stuff. Don't let it go on any longer. And, and so they begin to, I think, realize this at this point in time. that They, they, they know they haven't come completely clean. And that 103rd Psalm speaks that truth perfectly into our lives. And what it says is this, verse 10. He has not dealt, that he, being God, has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God wants to heal the situation. But he can't heal it until you stop adding to it. The old adage, if you want to get out of a hole, stop digging, applies. Amen? Very often people say, well, I want to get out of the situation. Well, how'd you get in the situation? Well, I did this, 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 and this. I want to keep doing this, 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 and this, but I want to get out of the situation. That's digging the hole deeper while you're saying you want out. If you want to be delivered from lying, then you've got to stop lying. You can't just be delivered from the past lies and continue to lie in the future. You've got to stop lying. If you want to be delivered from being a thief, you, you can't just get out of the consequences that have been brought in your life because you were a thief and you got all kinds of other people's stuff in your house. You need to give the stuff back and not steal anymore. Let him who stole steal no more, Scripture says. If you want to get out of that situation, that relationship, then you've got to make sure that relationship honors the Lord. You can't ask God to bless sin. He just simply won't do it. God's not going to go, well, you know, for you, yeah, you can go ahead and sin. He's not going to do it. We have to confess, and part of confession is not doing what we're asking for forgiveness for anymore. A second principle with regard to confession. You cannot follow it with a caveat. I'm sorry, but. If you were married to my spouse, you'd do the same thing. I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm genetically disposed to this type of sin. I'm sorry, but my parents beat me as a child. And I'm using some pretty serious examples here. I'm sorry, but I grew up poor. I'm sorry, but I had a bad day at work. 
I'm sorry, but I'm hormonally challenged. I'm sorry, but you don't know my husband. I'm sorry, but I'm socially dysfunctional. I'm sorry, but my dad wouldn't pay for my college education. Now let me tell you something. Three of those were mine. Three of those I'm sorry's were mine. My I, I'm sorry, but... Those were my excuses as to why it was okay to walk in disobedience to what God has for my life. Now, I praise God those are distant past things. But, but I remember I, I argued forever. Well, you know, I just didn't get that. You know, my dad would not pay for my college education. My parents beat me as a child. I know what it's like. I was beat as a child. And I mean beat as a child. Bloody, bruised, I still have scars to this day. I know what it's like to be beat. And I use that as an excuse for my anger. If you'd lived through that, then you have every right to be angry. You know what? There's no verse in the Bible that declares that. And it took me a very long time to figure out that my anger was actually still sin just because my anger had a root that was real. Just because your sin has a root that is real does not make it not sin. Did you know that? If the Bible says be angry and don't sin, guess what? We're to be angry and not sin. It's okay to be angry at situations the way God is angry, it is not okay to use that as a way that you can then be angry. God speaks to us through his word. And so for me, for you, for us, we have to say, I'm sorry, God. Forgive me, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop right now. Because you know what? I don't want a silver cup in my sack. I don't want to be heading back to my family and find out I've got to go back to Pharaoh to square away something else. When I leave, I want it to be completely okay with God. And so I have to let go of those things. And let me give you a little secret. When you do, it's amazingly freeing. It doesn't solve the fact that those things happen to you. It doesn't make them any less. It just means they no longer have control over you. And you will not have circumstances come into your life because you're still actively engaged in sin that was actually the root cause of it was someone else's sin. You learn that behavior from someone and you continue in it. God is going to hold you responsible for the sin that you're continuing in. You see, the devil doesn't tell you that. The devil tells you you were mistreated. You have a right to be like this. The devil tells you this is the way you feel, so you have a right to be like that. You come from a long line of alcoholics, so you, you have the right to be an alcoholic. It's just in your DNA. Look, either the Holy Spirit is capable 
of absolutely doing anything in your life or the Holy Spirit is not God. I didn't say that was going to be easy, but don't think just because it's hard that it's impossible. You see, you just have to finally say, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. Romans chapter 3, the steps. You see, because what he's really saying here is this. And we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth might be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Look, we're all going to be held to the same exact standard. Now, God in his marvelous grace mediates the circumstances, but the law says what it says. And so he's going to hold us all accountable to it. The only question is, at what point in time do we try and get away from that and say, well, it doesn't really apply to me. And as it is said here in verse 16, God's found out the iniquity of your servants. It's kind of referring not just to the discovery of the grain, the money, or the silver cup, but it's kind of the intent. It's the heart. It's the hidden stuff that it's still there. They hadn't fully dealt with it. God wants us to fully deal with the things in our lives so that we can be clean. doesn't want us carrying them around. The next thing that happens is Judah begins to speak and this is the longest speech by a human being in defense of another human being in the entire bible it begins in verse 18 let's take a look at it eight times you're going to see my lord use you're going to see 13 times the word father he he is absolutely supplicating he's casting himself on the grace of god and i love this part because this is really the major step And then Judah came near to him and said, My Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant saying, You you have a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he is left alone of his mother's children his father loves him and then you said to your servants bring him down to me that i may set eyes on him and we said to my lord the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father his father would die but you said to your servants unless the youngest brother comes down to you you shall see my face no more and so it was that when we went up to your servant my father that we told him the words of my lord Our father said, go back and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down for our younger brother isn't with us. Then we will go down. We may not see the man's face unless the younger brother is with us. And then your servant, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons and one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one from me also and calamity befalls him, You should bring him down to my gray hair and he will be sorrow to the grave. And now therefore, when I come up to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And so your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, your father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety 
for the lad to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father forever. And now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as slave to my Lord and let the lad go up to his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? This is a man who gets it. This is someone who fully understands exactly the consequences of his sin. And so he offers to put himself into Benjamin's place. He says, I'll stay. Let me make this right. This is both a confession and at the same time an admission uh, of the highest order that he wants things to be right. Judah's aim here is to make a case for the release of Benjamin and I think you can, you can pretty easily see that he wants it to end. He's tired. And when you get to that place to where you're finally tired of what you're getting out of what you're doing, you, you start to make better decisions. But until you get to the end of, and you are tired of what you're doing and the results of what you're doing, then you have a tendency to keep repeating those things. And so as it is here, very often God allows those very extreme circumstances to come into your life to say, do you want to keep going down this road? Do you want to go back to Canaan and have to come back again? This time you got away. Maybe next time you're not going to get away. This time you suffered very little. Maybe only one of you is going to have to stay here. Judah, it might be you. You're going to need to stay. But at least everybody else gets to go free. Why don't you let it end right here? God is looking for us to take those steps of faith to where, we, to where we will say, let it end right here. Let it be over. Judah's appeal here is basically saying, look, I will be surety for my brethren. By the way, that's the very same thing that Jesus has done for all of us. If you've trusted the Lord, exactly as Hebrews 7 says, it, Jesus became that surety of the better covenant when you start to walk in the truth, when you fully expose yourself to the grace of God and you start doing exactly what God wants you to do, then, then those circumstances can be mediated by that honesty. All of a sudden, you can just walk in it. It's true. You can forget about it. I'm sure most of you have experienced either being around somebody or maybe you're that type of a person that you've learned this lesson yourself. When you are not speaking the truth, you have to remember absolutely everything you say. You've got to remember every detail you fabricated. You've got to remember the order in which you spoke them. You literally have to remember the lie start to finish. But when you tell the truth, you don't have to do that, do you? Because it just simply is. It's not something that you need to keep track of because your memory is going to bring back exactly what happened. Your memory may not necessarily remember what you made up, but your memory will recall facts, truth. And so this is a picture of, of these guys finally getting to that place to where it's like, man, let's just be honest. Let's just tell the truth. Look, if one of us has got to stay, if Judah's got to stay, so be it. But let's tell the truth. Let's let God deal with this right here, right now.
And in that way, the story basically ends with a beautiful picture of Jesus. Jesus did for us exactly what Judah is offering to do for the whole family. Jesus became our surety. He said, look, I'll go to the cross. I'll be the way. I'll be the truth. I'll be the life. I'll give my life for them. You let them go free. That's how he can bring us as his sons, his daughters, his children. That's how we get brought to glory. Because Jesus took the penalty for us. And whenever you step into a situation, there, and it's like this, to where there's very clearly something that's gone on for a long period of time, and, and you've gotten to the end of yourself and you really want to make it right, and you step into that situation and say, Lord, give me strength to, to end this right now. You, you let me take the penalty for it. I guarantee you God will bless you. I guarantee it, because that's exactly how Jesus lived his life here on this earth. He took your penalty. He took my penalty. He took our penalty collectively. And, and so when you're doing that, you're acting like Jesus. You're doing what Jesus would do in that situation. He would say, look, blame me for it. I'll take responsibility. I'm owning it. And then God steps into that situation, and that's where that healing really begins. That's where that peace comes. And because Judah was willing to take Benjamin's place and separate himself from his father, he was willing to stay in prison if it meant everyone else got set free. That is someone who's willing to lay down his life for his friends, for his brothers, for his family. And that's being like Jesus. Somebody could have done that 22 years earlier. Somebody could have said, look, I'll I'll risk being a pariah amongst the brothers. I'm going to tell the truth. Look, Joseph's not dead. We sold him into slavery. Let's send somebody after the Midianites. Let's hunt them down and get our brother back. Somebody could have done that, but nobody was willing to to take up the the price of pain. If you really want to be used of the Lord, you've got to be willing to take up the price of pain. You're going to have to go through some things that you probably aren't going to like. But Jesus went through a whole lot of things for us that he didn't like. And so the moral of this story is exactly what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive those sins. But verse 10 says something interesting. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word's not in us. And so the moral of this story is, the moment God shows you something that's not right in your life, confess it. Don't tell a story about it. Just get down to doing business with God, saying, God, I'm sorry. Otherwise, you're going to do what these guys had to do. You're going to have to pay the piper. It's a lot easier to just say, God, I'm sorry, than to suffer the consequences of a life lived apart from God. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? <clears throat> Maybe you've got something in your life and, and you, you've been dealing with it for a long time. And the pastors come up and make themselves available as some of the prayer team and some of the ladies come up. and You just want to share something. Look, here's the good news. Not only has God allowed do-overs, he, he lets you do do-overs over. 
Um, he, he's willing, he's not willing to, to just drag these things out forever. He wants us to be clean and clear with him. And so if that's you, you've got something, you just need to leave it with the Lord. I want to strongly encourage you, just pray and let it go. Start fresh tonight. Because God loves to have his relationship with us restored so that we can walk in that peace. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We are so grateful that even though we know these things will catch up with us and uh, you will allow those consequences to come to our door, Lord, your plan is for us to just simply confess and be healed and repent, turn around, go the other way, and not have to suffer the consequences of those actions. And so, God, we ask that you'd show us those areas in our life where we've been susceptible to walking the wrong way. We pray that you correct those areas in our life and help us to walk closely with you so that we can walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And so, God, we bless you. We thank you for the example of this family, Lord. It's kind of a what-not-to-do situation. But, Lord, that's very helpful. And so we pray that you'd help us to not live our lives in deception and schemes, but by truth that brings forth good life. In Jesus' name, amen.